What had happened was two teens were killed in a detached garage in West Dayton. The shooter has been criminally charged with murder. The two teens were shot allegedly while smoking marijuana in a garage that they believed was abandoned. Both were shot in the back and a third teen who was present escaped. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. In this episode, I dive into one of the most controversial stories of 2019 with my colleague Corey Froelich of Dayton Daily News. Just days ago, a 68-year-old man was charged in the August 28th death of two 17-year-olds smoking pot in a detached garage prosecutors say was 40 feet away from his home. As Corey and I will discuss, the case has been complicated, it seems by changes in Ohio self-defense law. The garage shooting is only part of our chat, though. We talk about why Corey, a Pittsburgh kid, loves this gritty gem city and covering its city hall. We talk about the rigors of covering tornadoes and the Oregon District mass shooting when you hang out there. And we also talk about the upcoming project we are working on about Dayton's resilience. It really is an awesome chat. The What Happened Was podcast is sponsored by Premier Health and recorded in the WHIO radio studios. Like and rate this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. Select episodes can also be found on the WHIO app for Roku and Amazon Fire. Now here's my talk with Corey. So this case is kind of complicated, right? Yeah. We don't know what happened is kind of the complication. Police have released some details about what they think happened. We've never heard from the shooter. We don't know their side of the story. There were three teens that were allegedly trespassing in a garage outside of a West Dayton home, and it's a detached garage. The property owner there, Victor Santana, came out, and he told police that he heard some noise and went out to investigate, and, you know, he encountered multiple people and opened fire, killed two of the kids, two 17-year-old kids, Javier Harrison and Devin Henderson, a 19-year-old who was allegedly there, Jason Gibson, he fled the scene. Harrison and Henderson were killed. It seems like self-defense is going to come up in this case and whether or not he acted within his rights. It gets a little more complicated because Ohio law recently changed and put the burden uh, of proving self-defense on prosecutors. It used to be on defense attorneys to show that their clients acted in self-defense. But Ohio law changed and now it burdens on prosecutors, which- To prove that they did not act in self-defense. Correct. Yeah. It's not like Ohio's law is completely different. A lot of states across the U.S. already put the burden burden on prosecutors. It's a sad case for sure. Two 17-year-old boys killed. This has been a big development with this case, right? Very big development. Just very recently, Montgomery County Prosecutor Matt Heck announced charges against the homeowner and the person who allegedly pulled the trigger, 63-year-old Victor Santana. Santana's been charged, I think it was four counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, something like five counts of felonious assault. The prosecutor said, citizens are not allowed to use lethal force against someone that's just trespassing on their property. Just because the boys were allegedly in his garage doesn't give him the right to use lethal force against them. Matt Heck, prosecutor said, the boys were thought that the garage was abandoned and uh, were there to smoke marijuana and they were hanging out in what they thought were abandoned vehicles. Two of the boys present, Harrison and Henderson, died, but another boy that was present allegedly 
hit under a car and ran off or returned later and was arrested by police on a like a probation charge. He apparently is working with prosecutors and is expected to be kind of a critical witness in the case. What took so long? A lot of people are wondering why did it take so long for the prosecutor's office to file these charges? Police officials and uh, heck talked a little bit about that. They said, we don't jump to conclusions. We said, we want to really work the case and work the evidence. And this took time. We wanted this to be a very thorough investigation. We did that. They said, it's just not always... It can, it can take time. It's, it can be a process. Uh, he said, you know, obviously we wish things would be faster, but to get justice, you got to be a little bit of patient sometimes for that. Have you been able to find out anything about the suspect at all? I don't know a ton about him. He He's a Mexican citizen. He has dual residency, like he's a legal resident in the United States. He has properties here, apparently in California and Mexico. He was at the property where this happened. I don't know if... He was living there. It looked like he might have been staying there or living there. I'm not 100% sure. Just recently, he, a judge set a $2 million bond for him, which some observers say is pretty high in cases like this. But I guess there may be some concerns about flight risk and not, not entirely sure on that. I saw some police records where you know, I guess there was an incident of vandalism at his house back December of last year, where it looks like some juveniles vandalized a vehicle outside of the house where this happened. And then a couple of months later, he bought apparently the gun that was used in this. Personal details, I, I, did, I haven't found that much, unfortunately. Do you know if he knew those? boys at all? I don't know the answer to that. There's I've heard different accounts. One of the boys' fathers said the boys went there pretty regularly, and he indicated that maybe the boys knew him, but I, I just don't know the answer to that. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, and something, you know, we, we were talking about the legal changes, and some of that came up with the prosecutor and police officials, too. I mean, the prosecutor, Heck, said, even though the law changed, even though it's now on the, the prosecutors to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone did not act in self-defense. He's like, that doesn't have an impact on this case. That legal change doesn't, in his words, his direct quote, isn't an open season on trespassers. Like people are not allowed to use that, like that type of force, lethal force in cases where people are just trespassing or committing vandalism on their property or just on their property. He was like, he pointed out and since the start of 2018, there's probably been almost a thousand trespassing cases in Dayton. He's like, imagine if you could be killed for trespassing. Like, you know, there could be so many more murders here if citizens were allowed to use this kind of force against people just on their property. Do you think the whole charges, does that put the rest, some of the tension that was out there? Family members that have spoken to the media seem relieved, seem pleased. I mean, they really wanted to see this happen. I'm sure they were concerned. Many times talked about they want justice, and if he had not been criminally charged, I'm sure they would be very upset. They seem to be pleased that murder was what Mr. Santana was charged with murder. They seem to think that's the appropriate crime. This happened back on August 28th, so it's been a long time. This is right after the mass shooting and after the tornadoes. The city was still reeling from that, and then this whole thing pops up. Yeah, people have described it as a traumatic event. It didn't make national news necessarily, but it's just a lot of community attention. I mean, when Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke in town, he talked about it and saying it was sad. And uh, all four Dayton City Commission candidates have come out and said they believe that the boys were murdered. That was after some of our reporting that we looked at the coroner's report it shows that the boys were shot in the back one of the boys shot twice in the back though the other one shot once in the back and like i think once maybe in the the elbow and maybe the the thigh what do we know about the victims if anything families say they're good boys you know i mean just they're teenagers maybe they smoke marijuana and hang out in places they shouldn't but they don't think they should have had to die because of this trespassing you shouldn't be 
gunned down for trespassing. The dad told us, he was he described it as an assassination. He was like, if you hear something in your backyard, you should call the police and let them deal with it. Maybe the boys would have gotten in trouble, but they wouldn't have been killed, most likely. So we haven't heard from the shooter. I called a phone number for who the person I believe to be the shooter and declined to comment. With his voice, he declined to comment. Correct. He's not going to talk. Obviously, need to hear what he has to say, but a lot of people in the community, you've heard them talk, you know, city commission meetings. You've heard them talk at events. Um, the boy who escaped and came back he was arrested for a probation violation essentially like being out past curfew he was on probation for like a robbery you know i don't remember how long ago but he was just on probation for it and i guess just some of the things from that night meant that they were uh uh, violations. violations of his conditions of probation so still haven't really heard too much from him very curious to see what he has to say I don't think a lot of people understand like this whole law. Explain the law change. Before, the defense had to kind of decidedly show that somebody acted in self-defense when they took lethal action. And now prosecutors, now it's on them. Like now they have to prove. I don't understand what the difference is. Got me a little confused as well. I guess there's just a lot more evidence that has to be presented. Like there's, it's almost like an assumption that you you did act in self-defense in these circumstances. It's weird because like, I mean, there's a couple laws that could be at play. There's the castle doctrine, which says you can protect, you know, your household. You can protect your home. I don't think that applies to detached garages. Not a hundred percent sure. Don't think so. Maybe. But this is essentially, did he feel like his life was at risk? Say, oh, there were three people, didn't know what they were doing. But we don't know what happened that night. Were the lights on? Did he see the people? Did he just fire into a garage? Did he see the boys? Did he try to interact? Like the, the family of these boys seemed to think that they were trapped in a garage and he just opened fire. Did you they... actually see the garage? I have, yes. What does the garage look like? It's it's a standard garage. It does... You, it could be abandoned. It does. It's not like in the worst shape. So I have no idea like if people thought it was abandoned or not, maybe. I mean, I think there were vehicles in the garage at the time. Oh, there were cars in there? Yeah. One of the boys, the coroner photo shown kind of like wedged between a vehicle and the back wall. The other boy's body was kind of found right outside the garage area. So he was trying to run. I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, the family will say, yeah. I mean, they'll say they were shot in the back. That's them trying As they to were trying to get away. But but you can't say that, obviously. Yeah. You know, that's what the evidence is going to prove or not prove. Sure. I mean, it'll be interesting to see the outcome of this case. First, we need a little more information to kind of flesh out what happened. Why do you think this case has captured people's attention as much as it has? It hasn't as much as some of the other ones, but people are talking about this case. It's a very good point. It's interesting because some people just feel like, you know, there's, there should be justice for these boys. This is too common of a, a narrative that, you know, young black people are getting killed and we're not taking it seriously and they feel like if maybe if they were white and the shooter was black like it might be different you know with Harrison and Henderson being killed they're 17 years old some people just they don't think they get the benefit of the doubt because they're black they feel like people just see them and they feel like they look like hooligans they're 17 year old kids but they look like hooligans because of the color of their skin you know if it was white kids that people would have more sympathy for them because they they would look more like kids in their eyes or something like that you got to remember how young these people are I mean the third kid who who fled the scene and came back and was arrested. He's 19-year-old, so, you know, he's an adult. Under, but he's in still the 19, right? He is tiny. I mean, it, it was it was shocking how much of a kid he felt like in the court. He's very small. It was very jarring how young he looked, especially among much bigger adults. Yeah, he's just very young people. Rare that you have a mayor of Dayton and city commissioners weigh in. That really surprised me that they said that they think this is murder. Yeah, the mayor was the first one to come out and say, yeah, I think the boys were murdered. And that was before we even reported that they were shot in the back. You know, and the other commissioners, I guess, because of Snow Rube came to the same conclusion. It is interesting. I mean, people 
feel like these are teens. They weren't posing a real threat. They're just teens smoking marijuana. Shouldn't smoke marijuana, but mm-hmm. they were just smoking marijuana from what people say. But then you look online and see some of the feedback, some of the emails I get. There are people just like people intruding on your property. You don't know who they are. I mean, they kind of surprise you. I mean, it's legal to own guns. It's legal to protect right. yourself. So they feel like this it, guy has your right. Yeah, you have a right. Wouldn't. But we'll see how this plays out. Do you know how the lock came about or the change? I don't. I know it was supported by public defenders across Ohio and imposed by prosecutors across Ohio. <laughs> Funny Sup- that, right? Surprise, surprise. In my reading, it did look like this tended to be the norm across the country. Like most states had this law. And I don't know why Ohio didn't, that it's, you know, it's on prosecutors, and not the defense. And Dayton Police Chief Richard Beal talked about this has kind of changed things completely and the, you know, the standard and the level of evidence you need is going to be significantly higher, but it works in other states. We'll have to learn and see how much different it's going to be. And I think that's the thing I don't get, right? How's it going to change it? Like, how's it change anything? Because it, it seems to me you would still prosecute it in the same way if two kids are in a garage and they were shot in the back. And either way, like, you have to prove that the person didn't didn't or did act in self-defense. So I don't... Sure. I mean, I think... Because you are convinced. Bottom line, whoever the law says the burden is on, the jury or the judge are the ones you really have to convince. Sure. I wonder if it comes down to how much danger this person felt and if it mm-hmm. was actually any kind of real threat at all of danger. But isn't you know. that how it always is, though? Yeah, I don't get yeah. it. I mean, I I mean, I think it's affirmative defense versus I don't know what the opposite of affirmative defense is. <laughs> affirmative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need to know more about this subject. I think hopefully we'll educate ourselves as this process goes along and see if how his defense kind of mount. I know I've heard from multiple people that this will change things. Prosecutors think it's going to make their job a lot harder. You've been a reporter here for a long time. Have you covered a case like this before? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I know the law changed, so that's new, re- relatively new, but like... There were, as- it's interesting. Earlier this year, there was a couple cases that I thought might, you know, because the law changed, cases that might kind of test it and see if it is harder to prove someone did not act in self-offense. But I think those cases, because of just when the law started, when it took effect, they were kind of yeah, disqualified from it because the time frame didn't match and the old law still applied. I think this could be, at least as far as I know, when the first real tests of, you know, at least locally, I'm sure maybe across the state this already happened, but locally of how much harder it's going to be. Yeah. Now, how'd you get to Dayton? I worked at the Sandusky Register last. I worked there for two years. And before that, I worked at small papers in Farmington, New Mexico, Iowa, and I interned in Philadelphia. And why are you still covering stories in Dayton? You know, love this city. Love it. It's uh, working in much smaller markets. Like I was obviously building up and hoping to get to a city. And from Sandusky, Ohio, Dayton felt like a big city. And same so, here. From yeah, so it's, yeah. It's nice to have a city with universities and stuff going on. Like and it just people and people. <laughs> And we have big city stuff. It just, we're a smaller place and we changed a lot in the 10 years I've been here and changed for the better. And I like these cities moxie and I like it's, it's problems are fascinating and interesting. And I don't know. It's just, I really love Dayton. I must point out though, that people can't see you, but you got a Dayton strong shirt on. Yeah. From your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. And my neighbor South Park. I yeah. Mean, I represent the South Park. I mean, it could say also say Oregon. Just, it seems a little bit like, let's not have too much South Park pride right now. An Oregon <laughs> district could use a little more. Well, I feel like we all can be dating strong at this point. It's like That's enough true. strength to go around. Stopping in real quick to remind you that you're listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast. And I'm Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. The What Had Happened Was podcast is made possible partly with support from our sponsor. Our care lives in the hour between dropping off the kids and making it to your first meeting. Because scheduling your doctor's appointment should work around your life, not the other way around. 
Premier Health now offers online scheduling for primary care and select specialty services. Setting up an appointment takes seconds, and in some cases, you can see a provider the same day. Just head to premierhealth.com schedule to see how easy it can be. Our care lives on your schedule. Premier Health. Now back to my chat with Corey. Covering City Hall right now, what is that like? It's fun. I've covered other smaller communities, uh, you know, around Dayton before. City Commission meets once every week. Every single agenda has some stuff on it. I covered communities where, like, you know, especially I got here in 2010, so after the recession, some communities weren't doing very much for years. Like, they talked about the same project every week for a year and a half. City, every week there's something. Because it's this big city with spends significant amounts of money, a substantial budget. It's fun. The City Hall meetings themselves aren't terribly uh, <laughs> exciting. There's a lot of, there's some frequent flyers who come to each city commission meeting and bring up whatever's on their mind that week or some. See, see I always like that when like one of our fine citizens who had some ideas come there and they just like throw it all off. Like some of the crazier ideas. <laughs> just makes it, you know, boring, 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 boring. What? <laughs> My favorite is that a lot of people don't know what city government does and it, you know, even five years in covering it, I'm, I'm sure there's gaps in what I know about city government. But they come in and just like complain about the schools to the city commission. Like, oh, they're like, oh, no, that's 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 not us. Uh, sorry. Not that's, a whole, that's a whole. Yeah, not it. That's not us. I mean, even people come in like, I live in Trotwood and I want to talk about service in Trotwood. Like, well, listen, but I just. <laughs> you have three minutes, but. <laughs> move to Dayton. How about that? That's our answer. And yeah. But it's fun. It's been a crazy year, obviously, just with all this stuff. Federal indictments against the city employee and a former city commissioner. KKK rally, tornadoes, Oregon shooting, and then some of these high profile incidents. I mean, Dayton police were, you know, there was so much outpouring of support and appreciation. And after the, the shooting and after just the culmination of events, the KKK rally, shoot, tornado shooting, you saw everywhere, like, thank you, Dayton police. And there was lots of gratitude. People came to city commission, thanked them, gave them little awards they made and stuff like that. And oh, then, that's neat. Yeah. But then, you know, of course, inevitably, there was going to be stuff that was more controversial. And that was obviously the shooting of the two kids, even though, you know, it was a citizen that did it. Just the fact that people felt like he should have been arrested immediately, should have been charged immediately. There's, There's also been an officer involved shooting too, right? There was, yes. Michael Tucker, I believe. Tucker is definitely his last name. It was, I mean, all in this, like, it was like a week time period or a week. It's just so weird, now. all this stuff this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just like a, luckily it's slowed down and let's keep it that way. I was talking to somebody yesterday and I'm like, we've had enough yeah. <laughs> for for a long time here. Just, just, uh, let's just settle it down here. My favorite, and I'm sure you saw it, it went viral for a minute, which is like a friend of ours, Nick, uh, he posted, Dayton needs a vacation. I was just like, I wish there was a federal grant that gave the entire city of Dayton a vacation. A vacation. Just, yeah. you know, we apply for it. We all get a weekend off, a week off. It would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think we, we could use it. We would all have to go the same. Yeah. Like, oh, we have working shifts. We have to. I mean, it'd be fun if everybody can go at the same time, but. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, we, we could stagger it. So you think the city is recovering from everything? Um, Yes and no. Life is returned to normal for some people, but still a lot of people struggling. I think you and I both interviewed people that discussed uh, how Dayton responded. And we kind of had the Dayton strong conversation with a variety of people from across the community. I mean, just talking to a couple of people, they're just, they're still struggling so much. And it's just only been months, but the pain is still fresh and raw. Look at the holidays coming up and they're just like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And lost people or lost property or just, you know, had their lives uprooted. I think everybody's been impressed with how the community has responded. And people that probably before this year kind of liked Dayton almost uh, ironically. Like, oh, Dayton's great, but, you know, for a little town or yeah. something. 
you really (laughs) now really feel pride in the place like i mean and a lot of people say they're just like i just took it for granted and this summer made me appreciate just how much i love this place and just how people responded reminded me why i love this place what is it like to cover these issues being somebody who does care so much about the city obviously as you know like (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) i know (laughs) having this happen in your backyard You went through it. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't work the night of the shooting that you're, you know, the early morning hours of the shooting. I was, I was intoxicated that night from being down in the Oregon (laughs) that night. I mean, I guess I could have tried to come and cover it just intoxicated, but I, you know, obviously I had no idea what, what happened and how it unfolded. That was a rough, rough time is when you learn more and how close it came and as you know like people obviously just the death alone and shooting of people and I'm fortunate not to know people that were seriously injured or shot but you know just people traumatized after that our friends we both lost almost a friend that was way 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 too close to it Nick it was hard I had to take days off that following week I mean you were amazing because you worked insane hours and you were on the scene and just that's well no that was mostly you and just being so close to it like it was that was rough that was really upsetting i took an afternoon off and then i just almost took a whole day that week it was just because you care about it you know and when it hits close to home and we cover issues and we cover lots of unfortunate things but just just something about the indiscriminate pain this person wanted to cause and just how widespread that pain was and how how many people were just hurt and forever well i don't know forever but no forever deep, probably deeply mess disturbed by this and people just i feel like we're not gonna get over it and i do feel like you'll get through it that's yeah. probably the most yeah thingy some people like you say won't but yeah. hopefully they can be helped and we can all get through it yeah. together somehow. i mean it's inspiring to see people that were just they were just right there and it's just i can't believe they're back in the organ like days later yeah and just okay or no, when i say okay like they're hurting but you know they're, they're struggling but they're how strong they've been it's just like amazing to me like yeah. i'm just i've been so impressed with people i worried after it that i'm just like how long am i gonna be impressed with people before people start being some 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 trolls or horrible people do terrible things and kind of ruin this for everyone but the community response and how people have shown kindness and compassion has been i don't know it's just amazing in, in a weird way the kkk rally was almost like not a good thing but sort of a um i don't know like a good thing because people came together we were already together when the tornadoes came yeah so it was already like doing this dating strong stuff yeah dating strong really kicked up during the tornadoes so it was almost as like a primer yeah to like really kind of prepare you for the terribleness that was to come i mean yeah you're absolutely right like that weird. was almost like a test run for yeah, a, it was a test run and it was it a, it went super well because, you know, we didn't have any numbers of hate people. Like, members of a hate group came to town. We couldn't hear what they said. They yelled for a little while, and then they went home. Yep, it was goodbye. great. I mean, it was a big. Some people say it was a giant waste of money, but it's like nothing happened. So it's probably a success. You're right. I mean, that was... That started it. Like we started feeling good about ourselves around that time. A couple of days later when the tornadoes, it's just funny how quickly everybody responded and people just wanted to do something. They were turning volunteers away at some place or maybe not turning away. They were just standing, had nothing to do because there were right. so many volunteers. Some criticism I've heard is that it could be coordinated a little bit better. So those people, for instance, we could have used them probably somewhere else. Somewhere or else, yeah. We could have, you know, maybe better coordinated getting information and supplies to people. But for the most part, our response was as good as you could imagine without yeah, any kind of preparation. 
Yeah, especially with most of it was like people power too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, talking citizens. I mean, this yeah. is. I mean, obviously, governments and churches and all sorts government agencies responded significantly, but like citizens' response was as good as you could imagine or hope for. It's funny. Somebody said that Dayton, why we've responded so well to these terrible things. We're you know we're kind of used to a little bit of bad news in this community. The 2000s, 2000 to 2010 was rough for the city. It just decimated. We just lost employers, jobs, Big derailed employers. us. You know. And, yeah. And then employees were like diminished ncr that was dayton the name ncr was synonymous with the mm-hmm. city of dayton and when they left people were like, devastated because yeah. in gm same thing totally mm-hmm. devastated at this point i've heard that same theory kind of like yeah we're used to yeah. that you can push us down but we're not going to stay down we've been down before we, exactly we know how to get back up. exactly how to pull your trousers up <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh you know obviously deaths and shootings is is different than job losses but they're both very disruptive they both definitely send shockwaves through the community and i don't know the resilience the grit i mean it's it's become cliche i know but i love it i love the grit i love the resilience you were back in the oregon district days later for your own enjoyment not just to go more and just to go support i mean you had to be in the Oregon. yeah (laughs) yeah it was kind of a weird thing because like wherever else am i gonna go yeah what am i supposed to do (laughs) gotta go home and And it took a little while for them to build back up. You know, there were weekends where I'm just like, I felt really bad for right after it. Like that, you know, some of this, the staff and stuff, these people are coming to work because, you know, they need money and jobs and it takes their mind off of horrible. And like some of the bars had low turnout. I felt bad, but that seemed to rebound gradually. And now it's kind of just intermittently. Some days it seems like really hopping and uh, it feels like it's rebounded considerably. Yeah, I think so, too. But I feel like there's also a long way to go. One of the things I was asking people, well, we probably should tell people, too, what we're talking about. <laughs> we're going to do a project <laughs> about the strength of the community. And it's going to be a, a multi-platform project where it's going to be stuff in print and yeah. TV and radio and podcast. This podcast. One of the things people were saying was going forward, we need a lot of help still. You got to remind people that these things happen and people need to still heal from them. I'm guilty of it myself. I didn't realize how bad some of the tornado stuff was. I primarily spend my time in downtown Dayton and this area just because I live here and I cover, you know, city government, which is primarily located downtown. Most of the developments downtown. I went up north and I just, I was like, I can't believe this is months and months and months later after the tornadoes and it looks like nothing's changed. I'm sure it's gotten better. And obviously it's pockets that have gotten significantly better. Some are still waiting for resources, the green light to essentially rebuild if they will. But this looks like it just happened 10 minutes ago. It does. Um, my husband and I, Anthony, we went out there the night of and it's like, we knew it was going to be bad, but break of dawn was like, oh my God, how bad was it? But if you go out there, some of these areas look almost just as bad. There's been a lot of cleanup. I'm amazed by how much cleanup and that the community came together to clean up. But there's still some bad pockets where you're going to have to fix that because yeah. even the stuff on the on the highway, it's, that is like not a good look. We have to figure that out. Eyesores everywhere. You know? Eyesore, like it's a complete eyesore. And you, you imagine people who don't live here, who don't know what's going on driving sure. by. I mean, it's even though these things seem to have brought us together, like you can forget because we all live in our little bubbles. You know, this community, unfortunately, is still segregated. People don't always venture out into other parts of the community. Just reminding them, hey, this stuff's still going on. It's funny. When I first heard about the tornado, you know, I was like, ah, it's probably we're probably just making a big deal out of probably a little dust or dust devil or something. (laughs) Yeah, a little dust. Yeah, you know, because everybody gets excited about big weather events like a tornado in Dayton. That would be crazy and big news. I just assumed it was something small and then like actually seeing it going out and seeing what happened, it was just like, I can't believe this happened in our urban area. This is just unreal. As we keep reporting, like, is it, this isn't going away for a long time. Some of the founders we spoke with for this project is like, 
God, you're lucky to be alive. And they know it too. Happy and grateful that they survived and people were so compassionate to them and whatnot. Sure. It's kind of amazing. They have nothing. Like, yeah. talk to a family that didn't have insurance, a family of four, and mm. they basically it's only left that night. One little girl only had her bottoms on. She didn't have a shirt on. And they had neighbors flip-flop on. So the kids had adult flip-flops on. Oh. And a mom explained how when they went to like Family Dollar, they looked like they had been like run over. And the people were like, were so nice to them and people bought their stuff. Yeah. It was like amazing. But they're like, they got that thing. Like we're alive. We survived something terrible. Yeah. We're still kicking it. I mean, that's unbelievably resilient. It's uh, it's just so traumatizing. You know, I, I, I'm glad people are doing okay. I hope long term they get the services they need. I hope they're getting new shelter. I mean, I just can't imagine losing everything and having eighth experience itself, you know, just mm -hmm. weather just being very punishing to you and being so powerful that it can destroy everything you owned and everything you built throughout your life. It's unreal to me. Like, I, I can't imagine what they went through. Hopefully you never have to live through something like that. Oh, but just... if you did, you, we, <laughs> I think, I feel like we know, we kind of know we can't. <laughs> we've seen it done, so. That's true. I mean, hopefully they'll inspire me. No, I just fall apart. But like, no, I'm done. All right. <laughs> life over. Life over. <laughs> I'm just going to go accept the tornado. It can take me. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot for coming here. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, fun. I know. How, what episode is this have you been on? I don't know. Is it more than 100? <laughs> Not yet. It's oh, still... I was going to say, then how long does it take you to get me on this show, all right? <laughs> yeah. Now, I told you Corey was an awesome human being. You can find his work on DaytonDailyNews.com and in the pages of the Dayton Daily News. The What Happened Was podcast is produced, edited, and written by me, Amelia Robinson, in the WHIO Radio Studios. The show's artwork is by my friend, Troy Liming of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, stay Dayton strong. See you alligators later. Bye-bye.